Iskan founder Acharya Shilpada Ki Jai, Anantakoti Vaishnavinda Ki Jai, Namacharya Shilharidas Thakur Ki Jai, Prem Shikahol Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Doita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaur Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai, Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gogopina Shaimakunda Radha Kunda Gidi Govardhana Ki Jai, Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai, Mathura Dhamma Ki Jai, Navajit Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai, Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai, Ganga Maya Jamuna Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga, all glories to Srila Prabhupada, Nama Om Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale, Srimate Bhakti Vinanta Swami Niti Namane Namaste Saraswati Deve, Gauravani Pacharane, Nirvasesa Sanyamani Paskatyade Satarane. Vandeham Sri Guru, Sri Utapadakamalam, Sri Gurun Vaishnavamscha, Sri Rupam Sagrajatam, Sahagana Raganatam Vitamstam Sativam. Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sagana Lavita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So it's June 19, 2012, Skype class from Hawaii, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter 18, Maharaj Parikit, Cursed by a Brahmin Boy, Text 15. Tant tut. Therefore, Naha of us Bhavan your good self Vai certainly Bhagavat in relation with the personality of Godhead Pradana, chiefly, Mahatma, the greatest of all greats, Ekanta, <coughs> exclusively, Parayanasya, of the shelter. Harehe of the Lord Udaram impartial Charitam activities Vishudam transcendental Shushrushatam those who are receptive Naha ourselves Vittanotu kindly describe Vidvan O learned one Okay. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. 
O Sutta Goswami, you are a learned and pure devotee of the Lord because the personality of Godhead is your chief object of service. Therefore, please describe to us the pastimes of the Lord which are above all material conception, for we are anxious to receive such messages. Purport The speaker on the transcendental activities of the Lord should have only one object of worship and service, Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And the audience for such topics should be anxious to hear about him. When such a combination is possible, namely a qualified speaker and a qualified audience, it is then and there very much congenial to continue discourses on the transcendence. And we, we notice here in this purport the word transcendence is capitalized. Uh, again, this is the first canto, and Srila Prabhupada, in his original first canto, seemed to follow to some extent the German grammatical procedure of capitalizing more nouns than we would do in English. Profesh- uh, generally, what the editors did was they italicized them, but somehow this one stayed capitalized. Professional speakers and a materially absorbed audience cannot derive real benefit from such discourses. Professional speakers make a show, a Bhagavat Saptaha, for the sake of family maintenance, and the materially disposed audience hears such discourses, a Bhagavat Saptaha, for some material benefit, namely religiosity, wealth, gratification of the senses, or liberation. Such Bhagavatam discourses are not purified from the contamination of the material qualities. But the discourses between the saints of Namasharanya and Shisutta Goswami are in the transcendental level. There is no motive for material gain. In such discourses, unlimited transcendental pleasure is relished both by the audience and by the speaker, and therefore they can continue the topics for many thousands of years. Now Bhagavad Saptahas are held for seven days only, and after finishing the show, both the audience and the speaker become engaged in material activities as usual. They can do so because the speaker is not Bhagavat Pradhan and the audience is not Shushushatam, as explained above. Tano Bhavan Vai Bhagavat Pradhano Mahat Maikanta Parayanasya Harer Udaram Charitam Vishudam Shushushatam No Vitano Tuvidvan. O Sutta Goswami, you are a learned and pure devotee of the Lord, because the personality of Godhead is your chief object of service. Therefore, please describe to us the pastimes of the Lord, which are above all material conception, for we are anxious to receive such messages. So, the other day someone asked me a question which has come up many times, and that is that we read in the Shastra sometimes about the material benefits of various observances like akadasi or even reading certain lila and you know aren't those things supposed to be spiritual why are we reading about something material and here we see Prabhupada's in the purport talking about how if you wrongly approach spiritual activities they don't really have much spiritual effect and conversely of course we read in the Shastra particularly in Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter but in many other places about how when so-called material activities are used properly, they have spiritual benefit. So, you know, we have a tendency to divide activities on the platform of just what the body is doing into, well, these are spiritual activities and these are material activities. If my body is engaged in such and such thing, it's material. And if my body is engaged in such and such thing, it's spiritual. But actually, things are a little finer than that because in an ultimate sense, sarvakalamidam brahma, everything is brahma. Everything is ultimately spiritual. And in another sense, if one is in materially contaminated consciousness, everything is material. It's like Prabhupada says in his Krishna book, Chapter 14, the explanation of uh, Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 14, Brahma's prayers to Krishna after seeing all the Vishnu forms, that Maya exists only within the mind. Illusion exists only within the mind. 
Now, having said that, there are certain activities delineated in the Shastra and by the Acharyas, certain activities of the body, which are more likely to invoke that spiritual consciousness and certain activities of the body which will probably evoke material consciousness. So there are certain activities of the body, uh, just like illicit sex, meat-eating, intoxication, and gambling, which will almost definitely invoke materialistic consciousness. I mean, not absolutely, because in Dwarka, Krishna is playing chess with his devotees. So there may be some circumstance, or there were prostitutes in Dwarka who were pure devotees. So there may be some circumstance in which uh, even uh, activities on the bodily platform can also in, uh, be part of spiritual consciousness, that a person's spiritual consciousness will not be diminished by such activities. And in a similar way, even activities which generally invoke the spiritual can also fail to do so. So here Prabhupada's talking about how these activities, when performed in improper consciousness, basically don't have any potency. He was saying after these people go to these official Bhagavad Saptahas with an unqualified speaker and an unqualified audience, they don't have any change. And how can you tell that something is potent? The analogy that Prabhupada gives and the Shastra gives, particularly for this hearing and chanting that goes on in the Bhagavatam, is that of uh, sexual intercourse that how do you know that the man and woman are, are potent and fertile, that a child is produced? And how do you know that a seed you plant in the ground is, is potent and the, that the ground is fertile, that a plant grows? Right? Of course, nowadays the government pays farmers not to grow food, and then we worry about people who are starving, and nowadays people want to have sex without potency, and similarly they want to have Bhagavad readings without potency as, as a show. I know, or perhaps they're hoping that they'll get the potency, that they'll get the result, they'll get this spiritual result without having potency and fertility. I mean, one of the two, that people engaged in these things, either they're actually doing it just as a show, uh, just like some political leaders, even in our secular society, like to make a show of being religious just to convince people that they're moral. So there's a mentality in the mode of passion that I want to be a righteous person for prestige. And there, even that mentality can appear in the demons, like we read in the 16th chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Uh, I will give some sacrifice, I will give some charity, and thus I will rejoice. So even the demons, even someone who's actually a demon, who's an atheist, who's opposed to God, may want to make some show of a religious ritual for some ulterior motive. So some of the people engaging in this hearing and chanting of the Bhagavatam without potency and, and receptivity, they may be in that category. In other words, they may know that they have no potency. They may know they're not getting any spiritual benefit. They may not care about getting any spiritual benefit. And they're doing things uh, just externally. We call such people hypocrites. Right? If I'm doing something uh, that apparently has one purpose but actually I have no intention of getting that purpose out of it, I have an intention of getting an opposite purpose out of it, then that is hypocrisy, that is falsity. And no one likes a hypocrite. Uh, we find hypocrisy to be disgusting. We all have a deep-seated uh, need for things that are authentic because we are originally part of the absolute truth. We want things that are truthful. Right? We're... we're uh, not so disturbed if someone says, well, this is a fake diamond, if we know we're buying a fake diamond. But if someone says it's a real diamond and it's a piece of glass, we don't like that very much. So that's one category of the uh, people who are hearing and reciting Bhagavatam. And I think we could extend this to people hearing and reciting the Quran and the Bible and or any kind of, any sort of religious or a spiritual ritual where people are reciting uh, genuinely sacred works and, and hearing them and, and not actually getting potency. 
where when they finish, they're the same as they were when they started. There hasn't been any change. There hasn't been any fruit. There hasn't been any result. So that's the first category of those who are grossly hypocrites. And then the second category is those who are innocent. They actually believe and they hope that they're going to be getting some spiritual result. They're, they have some desire for spiritual result, but they don't know the process. They get cheated or they, they cheat themselves out of ignorance or, as Prabhupada would often say, a poor fund of knowledge. And that was Prabhupada's very kind, euphemistic way of saying that people were ignorant. Oh, you just have a poor fund of knowledge <laughs> that they just don't know. So there may be people who don't understand that to get the full benefit out of hearing and chanting the Bhagavatam, out of hearing about Krishna and speaking about Krishna, one has to have certain qualifications. Of course, for people who are innocent, they may still get some benefit that we call Agyatha Sukriti, that there may be some unknown, unknowing imperceptible, not really visible, just like here we're in Hawaii and there's a long time before the island pops out out of the ocean from the time it first starts growing as a volcano under the ocean. So we do understand that people engaging in hearing and chanting about Krishna in some genuine activity, as we were saying in the beginning, that there are certain, that on the one hand, anything can have spiritual effect or anything can have material effect, that there are certain behaviors of the body that if done without offense, if there's no offense in doing them, uh, hypocrisy would be an offense, but if there's no offense in doing them, they will eventually have an effect, even if the person who's doing them is doing them improperly, just like Ajamil. He was chanting, even though he was also engaged simultaneously in sinful life. He wasn't following a proper process. And, you know, we hold Bhagavatam classes and Bhagavad Gita classes sometimes out on the street. You know, we take out the Harinam party, we're chanting Hare Krishna, and we stop and we talk about philosophy to people out on the street. And our understanding is that anybody who's hearing the Hare Krishna mantra and anyone who's hearing the philosophy, Prabhupada says, anyone who just touches the book, uh, if they're innocent, if they're not offensive, then they do get some benefit, although that benefit will be imperceptible. Their life may not immediately change, but they become, it, it's more like preparing the ground. You know, this Agyatha Sukriti just like if you want to plant a seed, so you may have to fertilize the ground first if you're working in a desert. But of course, even in such instances, there has to be some potency there. So if the person who's speaking has no potency, then it's very difficult for the listeners to have potency. Although there are certain instances, uh, there's one in Chaitanya, I can't remember exactly with whom it's in relation to, maybe some of you will remember, you can bring it up at the end of the class, there was one great devotee who went to hear Bhagavatam speaking by, spoken by a Mayavadi, and he ended up exhibiting ecstatic symptoms in the class. I think that was... Uh, I know about that, that there was a relationship to uh, someone named David Nanda, who later becoming, became a devotee. I don't remember all the details of the Leela right now. But the, the devotee who was listening, I think it was at Srivas, that he exhibited ecstatic symptoms because he was a proper hearer even though the speaker was not proper. And then the other people who were in the class, they were very disturbed at these ecstatic symptoms and had him removed. And the speaker, I believe his name was Devananda Pandit, he didn't object. And so he lost any of his ability that he had. And later on, uh, again, I believe it was Rakeshwar Pandit who was able to bring him to a higher standard. Again, I may be getting the details of the Leela wrong. I, I, I didn't think of it till now, so I didn't look up the details before the class. But we do find that even if one side is potent, even if the hearer is potent, that if the speaker is not potent, the hearer may get benefit. Uh, so that may be there. But if both the hearer and the speaker uh, have no potency and are not purified, then even if they're both innocent, even if they're not hypocrites, 
the benefit is going to be very small or nil. We're not really going to see much of a change because then things are watered down. Like Prabhupada would use the word show bottle. Now, Prabhupada was a, a pharmacist. He ran a pharmaceutical company, and one thing that the pharmaceutical companies used to do is they would take a regular bottle and fill it with some colored liquid and put it in the window of the shop as if it had medicine in it. You know, a show bottle. It doesn't have actual medicine in it. Or sometimes, you know, medicine may be so diluted. Just like nowadays you can go to the grocery stores and you can buy these juicy fruit drinks. And the juicy fruit drinks, if you look at the ingredients, they have 1% fruit juice, you know, or 10% fruit juice. It's mostly just sugar and color, you know, or a little natural flavoring, it will say. Sugar, water, sugar, artificial color, natural flavoring. So how much nutrition do you get out of that? Even if there's something genuine in there, it's so small that you'd have to drink gallons and gallons and gallons of this juice in order to get the benefit. So those are the two categories, the actual atheists and the innocent, who really, although their activities are so-called spiritual, the effect is either not spiritual at all, and in fact it could be opposite, it could, or the effect is very, very small. So the point is not just what we're doing. Like Prabhupada was asked here in Hawaii, do you make more advancement if you live in the temple? And Prabhupada said that depends on whether or not your mind is on another subject matter. So in the beginning of Krishna consciousness, we tend to demarcate the spiritual and material only and solely by what the body is doing. Now that's not irrelevant. You cannot say that's irrelevant. I mean, after all, the Shastra and the Acharyas do demarcate uh, certain do's and don'ts, and part of the process of surrender is to accept what's favorable and reject what's unfavorable. So we do say that if you want to make advancement, you should follow these nine processes, like hearing and chanting. And those, uh, Rupa Goswami, of course, expands into 64 And we do say that if you want to make advancement, you have to give up illicit sex, intoxication, meat-eating, and gambling. We don't say to people, you know, well, you could, they were prostitutes in Dwarka, so, you know, you can practice prostitution and still be a pure devotee. Because most likely, those activities are going to have some uh, ill effect or some good effect. But at a certain point, the external activity should affect one's consciousness. So I've been reading some books of St. Teresa, and in one of them, she was ta- in one chapter, she was talking about vocal prayer and mental prayer. And she said that as far as she was concerned, there is no meaning to prayer unless it's, mental, unless it's also mental prayer. She said, if you're doing something, if you're saying something and you're not thinking about what you're saying and your mind is in what you're saying, how much value is it? You know, if someone's talking to us, but they're thinking about something else and they're doing something else, it's not really much of a conversation. I'm sure we've all had experience of being in such conversations where afterwards we have no idea what went on, etc., etc. And Prabhupada says that Krishna consciousness... A devotional service happens on the platform of the subtle body. Now for the beginner, uh, the beginner is going to be generally absorbed on the external platform. Well, I sat in the Bhagavatam class, or I told somebody about Krishna. And they don't, the beginner is not really capable by definition when you're a beginner. You just just don't have the ability to do things in in a deep way. But at a certain point, one should come to doing things in a deep way. One should be doing things with the proper consciousness, because that is bhakti. Bhakti is manmana bhavamad bhakto. Bhakti is absorption of the mind, because after all, it's the mind. Yam yam bhapi smaram bhavam tam tam eva bhava bhavitaha. 
You know, we don't see that Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita is just saying, you know, if you're offering artik at the time of death, then you come to me. He doesn't say, if you happen to be sitting in the Bhagavatam class, you come to me. He says, if you're bhava, if your mood, if your consciousness is absorbed in me, because eko bhavanam yo Krishna fulfills people's desires. Krishna is like a big desire tree. And he's reciprocating with what we genuinely want. So this is not to say that what we do with our external senses is unimportant. Uh, that's not the idea. I mean, at a certain point in Krishna conscious development, generally people start figuring out, wait a minute, it's not just about what I'm doing with my body. And sometimes then they decide, well, I'm just not going to care what I do with my body anymore. It doesn't matter whether or not I listen to Bhagavatam or I preach Bhagavatam or it doesn't matter whether I gamble because it's all about your consciousness anyway. But that's not the right way to go either. The right way to go is let's do what, let's follow in the footsteps of the Acharyas and let's do it internally as well as externally. And how do we know if we're doing it internally as well as externally? I mean, it's, there's an evidence procedure. So two evidence procedures are mentioned here. One is unlimited happiness. Wow. Okay, unlimited happiness. Prabhupada says here, unlimited transcendental pleasure is relished both by the audience and the speaker, and therefore they can continue the topic for many thousands of years. So an actual taste that, that one is relishing. And I, I really like Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati's commentary on this shikshastakam, anandam buddhivardhanam, where he says that although the jiva is infinitesimal, the jiva's capacity for enjoyment is unlimited. One way we can tell whether we're in truth or not, frankly, is are we joyful? Not are we happy materially. That comes and goes. That's going to come and go in the mind and in the body even when we're pure. That's The mind is sometimes going to feel satisfied and the mind is sometimes going to feel distressed and the body is sometimes going to feel energized and the body is sometimes going to feel tired. Prabhupada just explains this in 1422 purport Bhagavad Gita. It's not that when you're Krishna conscious, your mind is always going to be happy or your body is always going to be happy. But if we're in truth, if we're doing the right thing, uh, one of the evidence procedures is that we're going to feel joyful. And the other evidence procedure here is that one will not be engaged in material activities. Now again, what does material activities mean? It can mean to some extent what you're doing with your body. But it also means a mentality. That you're not going to have a materialistic mentality. That your mentality will start to become purified. That you'll start to see things as they are. At least one should see some beginning. I was recently visiting a relative who had a garden full of fruit trees. And one of the trees was a fig tree that somehow, in a late frost one year, had, had a, or I guess a frost, because they're in Los Angeles, they don't have frost very often. So there was a frost one year, and the tree apparently died, and they cut it down. And then when it grew again, it grew more like a bush than a tree. Oh, no, it wasn't fig. It was avocado. It was an avocado tree, and it looked like a big bush. So it was covered with avocado plants, maybe 300 avocados fruits were growing on that tree, but they were all very small. And if you went to eat them, you know, they wouldn't be very tasty. So it's not that we're saying that if your activities are potent, they're going to immediately be mature. But you should start seeing little fruits on, growing on the tree. There should be some evidence. There should be some evidence of transcendental taste, and there should be some evidence of growing transcendental knowledge and detachment. One should start to see things as they are. One should start to see one's own motives for what they are. One should be starting to purify one's activities. And that should happen more and more in a progressive march. And if that isn't happening, then there's something wrong. You know, if you're putting seeds in the ground and no plants are growing, there's something wrong. Either either the seeds are, are not potent or the ground is not fertile. 
So there, you know, you may not be getting the avocados immediately, but you should see some little sprout coming out of the ground. So what is the way that we engage in these activities so that we have the results? What is the qualification so that we're neither hypocrites nor just sort of a poor fund of knowledge, innocent people? If we really want to get the maximum benefit from our Krishna consciousness, from our external activities. So we come to them with some eagerness, as it says here, that they were anxious to receive such messages. How do we do that? We have association with people who also relish them. We hear the benefits of relishing them. Just like people come, you know, people come here to Hawaii because they've heard from others, oh, if you go to Hawaii, you will enjoy. Anytime I tell people that I'm coming to Hawaii or that I live in Hawaii, people say, wow, you're so lucky. It doesn't matter whether they're devotees or non-devotees. I always get that kind of response. How wonderful, how fortunate you are. And the vast majority of those people have never been to Hawaii. So why are they thinking like that? Because they've heard with some faith from someone. They've, they've seen, they've heard. And therefore people will spend their money. It's, it's interesting that a ticket from California to Hawaii costs five times as much as a ticket from the east coast to the west coast of the mainland. You know, people, why? Why can they do that? Why, if you fly from Washington, D.C. to to Los Angeles, you know, you can pay $170, and if you want to fly from Los Angeles to, uh, to Hawaii, you can pay $1,000. Because people are willing to pay $1,000. Because they're, they've heard about Hawaii, and they said, yes, I'll, I'll do that. I'll save my money. I won't spend my money on other things. So if we hear about the glories of the Bhagavatam and we associate with people who know, here it's talking specifically about Bhagavatam, but any of the nine processes, although hearing perhaps we can say is the chief, uh, then we will come to it with attention. You know, after you spend all your money for your Hawaiian vacation, you're going to want to do something here. Can you imagine spending all the money on the airfare and the hotels and then you never go to the beach, you never go to the volcano. You never go to the waterfalls. You don't eat any of the special Hawaiian food. You know, you just eat apples. So, you know, after hearing, then one actually gets, pays attention, meditates on, uh, to take it seriously. So that's association, and we become enthused to hear by hearing. And then, of course, having a pure life. There's that famous purport where Prabhupada says, no one can be wrapped in attention unless they're uh, pure in mind and no one can be pure in mind unless they're pure in body and no one can be pure in, in, in action unless they're pure in eating, sleeping, mating and defending so we also we, we make ourselves qualified even on the external bodily platform now, just like uh, if you're going to have guests, we had guests over for Prasadam last night. So if you're going to have guests, you also want to have clean plates. You also want to have a clean place for the guests to sit down. And that it's not just an external, it's part of the meal. You know, you're not going to serve your guests food just on the floor or on dirty plates. So in the same way, although we might say, well, that's very material. Do I take a bath or do I not take a bath? You know, these, these sub-religious principles, uh, intoxication, meat-eating, illicit sex, gambling, what other things I watch, what other things I hear, what other things I do. But that prepares the, the ground. That's a, a symptom of our, of our sincerity that I come with, a, with the ability. You know, it's the same thing also with planting a garden. That I come with, I, I have the soil ready when I go buy my seeds and I put my seeds in the ground. I mean, just making the soil ready isn't going to do anything. But getting the soil ready is part of the process of planting. Making sure you have the right tools. 
you, you can't say that it's not part of it. And in the same way, all those things, uh, to prepare ourselves to hear, to prepare ourselves to speak, to make sure that we're actually clear. Prabhupada uses the word transparent via medium, that we're actually, a, that we can be a clear medium. We, we clean our, our glass so that Krishna can use us as a speaker and that so we can receive as a hearer. So these are the ways that we can get the maximum benefit out of what we're doing. There's a nice, uh, where was I reading it? I think it was a purport by Vishnu Chakravati Thakur. I'd have to look it up again, but it was something I read recently, where he was talking about how to whatever extent we're hearing, oh, it was in the section of the 10th canto in relationship to the gopis who were not allowed out of their houses to go join the Raslila. And he was talking about how their bodies became fully spiritualized. And Vishnu Chakravati Thakur was saying that if we take as our sense objects things in relationship to Krishna, if we take pleasure in things in relationship to Krishna, that spiritualizes our body and mind. But he said the devotee may also sometimes take as their sense objects material things. So then you will have a certain percentage of your body and mind that's functioning materially and a certain percentage of your body and mind that's functioning spiritually. So more and more we should have our body and mind functioning spiritually so that they're fit receptacles for what we're engaging in. So it's mostly a matter of doing the bodily activities that Prabhupada prescribed for us with meditation, with thinking about what we're doing with a lack of offense to other jivas uh, that we're dealing with. And not to think only in terms of what we're doing with our body, but to think uh, very holistically what we're doing with our body, with our mind, and with our heart. So there's a, some very famous business leaders have put together a book on how to prepare your business for the future, and they talk about that you have to have an open, an open will, an open mind, and an open heart to see what's going on around you and take full advantage of that. And I thought, yes, that's our Krishna conscious process. I have an open mind, so I, I, actually, I can hear on the platform of the mind. I have an open will, so that I'm willing to actually act on what I hear. And I have an open heart, that I'm listening with some affection for Krishna. I'm listening with some desire to love Krishna or some desire to desire to desire to desire to love Krishna. And in that way, our progress will be very fast. So looking at this, this verse where the speaker, he's very learned. It gives him several qualifications. He's learned, he's a pure devotee, and the Lord is his chief object of service. He's not trying to serve his body and his mind. He's not trying to serve his society. He's trying just to serve Krishna. And the audience are anxious. So these are the symptoms that one is qualified, and if one is qualified, the effects will be unlimited transcendental pleasure and cessation of interest in a materialistic mentality and a materialistic way of life. So questions, comments, discussions? You spoke a lot about the importance of the recipient being qualified, qualifying himself in order to receive spiritual knowledge and spiritual advancement. But yet, Mahaprabhu instructed Thakur Haridas and Nityananda to not discriminate as to who was a fit recipient and who was not, with no concern of what they've done in the past, but to indiscriminately spread this spread this message, give this mercy. So how how does this apply? It seemed like you were speaking mostly in terms of for us, for devotees, who are to advance 
person along the process. What about for, for the newcomer? They may have no qualification at all or no interest at all. And, and, and in uh, participating in Lord Chaitanya's Libah becoming instrumental that, that we, in preaching and spreading this movement, also should not discriminate whether one is ready or not. Uh, thank you. That's a very good question. So we, I would say it depends. Just like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had private kirtans in Srivas Thakur's house and the public was not allowed. And then he had public kirtans on the streets of Navadweep. And he discussed basic philosophy with Prakasananda Sarasvati and he discussed advanced philosophy with Ramananda Roy. So certainly we do take, as I was saying, we go out on the street and we're not only chanting Hare Krishna, but we give uh, short discourses on the street. You know, Prabhupada would give discourses uh, at Rathiatras to the general public, whoever was milling around. I mean, usually we speak about Krishna consciousness to people who've shown enough interest to come to one of our programs. Generally, even the book distributors don't really speak a whole lot about Krishna consciousness to people who don't stop. You know, of of, of the 200 people that walk past you, you know, one or two will stop, and then you show the book to those people and you speak to those people. So you may be giving everybody an opportunity, but as far as really speaking, you judge according to people's receptivity. There's, There's... this is not to say that you don't have some opportunity that you give to everybody. Otherwise, how are you going to, you know, how are you going to even find receptive people unless you invite them? But there are some times that we go to places where people have not demonstrated any kind of interest, just out on a public street, and just start talking about Krishna. Of course, even then, you know, people can decide whether to stop and listen or not. But we do have injunctions not to preach the glories of the holy name to the faithless, that that's an offense. So we do have injunctions that we are supposed to discriminate what aspects of the philosophy and how according to the receptivity of the audience. So when Mahaprabhu is saying don't consider whether people are qualified or not, I see that as far as initial. You know, it's... it's uh, just like sometimes more and more today in fact advertising is very targeted they're finding that untargeted advertising is not very effective so they'll target you they try to figure out what your interests and inclinations already are and then they advertise something according to what you want but there's also just general advertising There's general billboards and etc. But most advertising in order to be effective has to be targeted to people who already have some receptivity. So both are there. We, We do untargeted, general, blanket preaching where we make no discrimination. And then we also take the people from there who are interested and we give them more and we give them in more uh, detail and we do also a lot of targeted advertising and a lot of of targeted preaching both are there Another very good question. Prabhupada said that anyone who has any contact with a pure devotee will eventually get spiritual benefit, but if that contact is offensive, then first they have to suffer for their offenses 
And he gave the example of trying to light a fire with wet wood. So first you have to dry the wood and all you get out of trying to light the fire is smoke and disturbance. So I did say that if one half of the equation is, is bona fide, then there can still be some benefit. Now we have that story of the devotee, again I think it was Srivas, who was hearing from Bhagavatam from a non-devotee. But although he was hearing from a non-devotee because he was so qualified, there was still some effect for him. And on the other hand, if the speaker is, is especially potent, then even if the hearer has no qualification, uh, certainly there's going to be benefit for the speaker, but there may also be some benefit for the hearer. In the case of Srivas, eventually there was benefit for the speaker, not immediately. The unbonafide speaker first suffered for his offense, and then later, because he had contact with the pure devotee, and another pure devotee also, Bikeshwara Pandit, eventually he got that benefit, but first he suffered. So if there's any contact with somebody who's actually purified, then yes, there is benefit, but it may take a long time. Just like when Prabhupada was talking about chanting with deliberate offense, and he was asked, should such people stop chanting? He said, no, maybe after 700 births they'll become perfect. Or one of Prabhupada's disciples who became offensive to Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati, Prabhupada said it will take him 10 million, not 10 million, 10,000, he said it will take him 10,000 births to attain prema. He didn't say he'll never attain prema, but just that it would be very delayed, like what Mahaprabhu said about Mukunda also. So if someone has contact with Krishna, even in an offensive way, yam krota kama sahaja pranayadi bhitti vatsaya moha guru gorava sevi bhavai sanjin chitasam sadvisintanama parete govindamani purusham tamaham bhajami so Krishna is such that any contact with him, even if it's offensive contact with him, will eventually yield some result. It's like this one essay where Bhakti Siddhartha is talking about initiation, and he said anyone who takes initiation will become purified. It may take a long time, it may take many lifetimes, depending on that person's sincerity, but they will eventually get the result. Of course, he does also give a caveat. He said there are rare circumstances where that is not the case. So there may be some circumstance where someone has some brief offensive contact with Krishna consciousness and where that doesn't develop into anything. Uh, But generally, any contact with Krishna consciousness will eventually develop. However, if that contact is offensive, it may be a very long eventually. And therefore, we can make statements as Prabhupada's doing in this purport where Prabhupada's basically describing such activity as as being practically useless. He said, it's just a show. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, they're not purified. Prabhupada says they're not purified from the contamination of the material qualities. Does that mean that it never has any effect on purifying them? Uh, but still Prabhupada's making this as a general statement. If there's some effect, it's so delayed, um, and it's so, uh, at this point, watered down, that practically speaking, there's no effect. If nobody else can ask a question, I'd like to ask a quick question. Um, in the purport, you look out, it says that uh, the sages and the Sharanya, it's a bit of a they're on the transcendental level. I have a question from text 12. Uh, in the text it says, we have just begun the performance of this fruitive activity, a sacrificial fire without certainty of the result. Um, in that sense, what did fruitive activity mean? Do you know? Uh, no, uh, no, I'd have to look at this more closely. Uh, it, it, what it's just briefly looking over here, it seems to say that they've made a step up that they started out on a lower platform and now by good association have come to a higher platform. That's just looking at it briefly. They've become anxious.
meaning that perhaps when they started the sacrifice, it was for fruitive activity, and now they're elevated to a much higher platform. That's what it, that's the most obvious and immediate meaning. I mean, we see that on a, on a practical level. We see that a lot. Just like there's a particular part of the world that I visit regularly where for legal and political reasons pretty much all of the members of the Hare Krishna movement there are from India. Uh, where it's, it's illegal to do any preaching among the local residents <coughs> who are not already Hindus. So the it's it's not India and they're Indians who come to this place to work so when they were in India surrounded by their own culture and their own food and so forth and so on many of these people had no interest in Krishna consciousness and now that they're away from their homeland uh, just like naturally you know in, in New York there's going to be an Italian restaurant and a Mexican restaurant and a Polish restaurant because people like the food and the music and the culture that they grew up with, they're comfortable with it so we find the Indian in these countries, and, and there's a reason I'm not saying what countries they are, but there's, there's a, the Indians in these countries they're missing their homeland, they're missing their culture, in a materialistic way, and they find out that ISKCON is holding events which to them appear to be primarily cultural where there's the kind of food they're used to and the kind of music they're used to and they can hang out with people from India and they start coming for those reasons but after associating with the devotees and after reading Srila Prabhupada's books and so forth and so on they actually become devotees so although their original motive for coming and of course we see this particularly with the Indian community all over the world with our temple, that many Indians may first come to the Hare Krishna movement thinking that this is my material religion. I'm engaging in a material religious ritual because this is my culture. And we find that many such persons become genuine, not all of them, but many such persons become genuine devotees. So I'm seeing the same thing here. and I don't know if that's the definitive answer, but just from a cursory looking at it, it appears to be the same thing. These were people who started engaging in the activities of the Shastra for materialistic reasons, and then by the association of, of Sutta Goswami and, and etc., they changed. And just like I was saying at the beginning of the class, that just because something is what we could call an innately spiritual activity, you may not get spiritual benefit from it if you're approaching it in a different way. So they were engaged in transcendent activities, but their mentality was different, and now their mentality has changed. Great answer. Thank you. Anybody else? such a sticky thing if you're going to say what's a spiritual activity and what's a material activity there are certain ex Let's just go back to the very beginning. On one level, Sarvakalami Dham Brahma, everything is spiritual. What to speak of 
what's given in the Shastra for those wanting transcendence. But everything is spiritual. Sarva Kalamidam Brahma. Everything is spiritual. On the other hand, we distinguish and we say, okay, this is matter and this is spirit. These are material activities and these are spiritual activities. The interesting thing is that there are certain external activities that help one to see that everything is spiritual. So in the beginning of spiritual life, we talk about these are materialistic activities and these are spiritual activities. You know, even you want to say chanting Hare Krishna. Prabhupada says, milk touched by the lips of a serpent has poisonous effect. And what we're hearing in today's verse about the Bhagavatam. There was that, um, what's his name? Ram Das, I think. There was that devotee who was traveling with Raghunath Bhattago Swami and serving him, who was always chanting the name of Ram. And he was serving a Vaishnava. But Mahaprabhu paid no attention to him because his motive for doing it, his mentality, was he wanted to merge with Ram. So though he was doing intimate personal service for one of the six Goswamis, carrying his luggage and arranging things for him, and although he was always chanting the holy name of the Lord, Mahaprabhu didn't pay any attention to him. Now again, we can talk about that there are certain activities that even if performed wrongly will give ultimate benefit. And there are certain activities which, you know, it's pretty hard to engage in those activities. Like slaughtering animals with a spiritual consciousness. But, you know, the Ksachis went hunting where they were killing animals. Pure devotee Rajarshis, Arjuna and Krishna were going out hunting. So it's not impossible. Well, Garuda is a pure devotee and he eats snakes. So it's not that that's impossible. The definition of pure devotional service is activities which are favorable to Krishna that are not covered by karma and jnana. But in the beginning, one cannot behave like that. And just like when you're teaching a child to read, you give them certain rules. Now, if you're teaching them Sanskrit and Finnish, or Finnish, then the rules stay that way. But in English, it's not like that. In English, you'll teach them, okay, A says ah. But A doesn't always say A. Ah. Sometimes A says A. A can say all kinds of interesting things. Or you teach them that Y says Ya. But Y can also say E or I. But you don't tell them all that in the beginning. It would just be confusing. So we start out saying to people, the body is material and you are spiritual. But if Sarva Kalami Brahma, then the body is also Krishna's energy, and all, from Krishna's perspective, it's also spiritual. And the body can become spiritualized and act spiritually. How interesting. But you can't start off thinking like that, or, or, you, or you won't make any progress. One has to start off in the beginning thinking, okay, well, this is spiritual and this is material. And this is good and this is bad. And Krishna Das Kaviraj says at a certain point you realize that's all nonsense. Now, of course, it's also interesting that those who do see that everything is spiritual generally engage in certain activities and don't engage in other activities. That's also true. Just like the swans want to live in a beautiful place. So the pure devotees, they can go to hell to preach. They can go to the garbage dump to preach. They can go to the lower planets. I was just listening to Prabhupada give a class about how Krishna appears in every species of life. And he said sometimes the devotees do also. 
Prophet was saying Krishna appears even as an incarnation as a tree. And the Buddhists tell stories of how Buddha incarnated in various animal species to preach to the animals. So the great devotees who see everything as spiritual, they may go to a horrible situation. It's like with Prabhupada's prayer when he came to America. Why have you brought me to this terrible place? But I guess you have some business here. So they may do that. Although generally, the preference of those who see everything is spiritual, they don't talk to materialistic persons. Right? Mahaprabhu was saying, you see a face of a materialistic person, you jump in the Ganga with your clothes on. But yet, the great devotees, seeing everything is spiritual, they may go to a materialistic person to preach. So in the beginning, you know, you make everything very simple. This is spiritual, this is material. But the result of doing that is you see everything is spiritual. And then you know exactly how to act to please Krishna in every situation. As Prabhupada says, Krishna becomes your direct advisor. And you see how everything and anything can be engaged in the Lord's service and how everything is connected with Krishna. Of course, again, even in that position, the devotee and Krishna generally, the vast majority of the time, is going to prefer to act in the ways that the beginning devotee understands as spiritual activities. I hope that's clear. In the further pursuit of this discussion, um, because we're talking about seeing everything as spiritual, um, isn't that a question of realization and not just uh, uh, a theoretical uh, acceptance, uh, understanding, because of, of something that we hear on a. Yes, on a, yes, you can't artificially imitate it. If you artificially imitate it, you'll never get to that stage at all. You know, if if you have a little child who doesn't know how to read, and instead of sounding out the words, you see this, you know, little children, they'll pick up a book and they'll go, you know, they'll just make up things. And they'll imitate the activities of a fluent reader. But they're never going to learn to read like that. They have to go back to sounding out the, the letters according to certain systems. So in the beginning, it's absolutely essential that one says, okay, I, I do these activities, I don't do these activities, I follow the, the instruction to do these particular activities, and I see these are spiritual and these are material. Why well, you have to do that in order to realize that everything is spiritual. And even when you realize that everything is spiritual, you're still going to prefer to do the activities, and you're generally going to do the activities that you demarcated as spiritual, as distinct from material in the beginning. That's not going to stop. It's not that once you see everything is spiritual, you're going to be likely to smoke. No, the Acharyas, once they see everything is spiritual, they're not interested in those activities which are demarcated in the beginning as material, even though they still see those activities in relationship to Krishna. So why? Because they're trying to do things that please Krishna, and these, the activities that we demarcate as spiritual are things that particularly please Krishna. Now, sometimes Krishna might be pleased by something else. Sometimes Krishna may be pleased by us going to a, a filthy, degraded place for the purpose of preaching. Although generally, we wouldn't live in such a place. So that, that may be there. Krishna was pleased that Arjuna killed Bhishma and Drona. Arjuna didn't directly kill Drona, but that he fought with Bhishma and Drona. Generally, how are you supposed to treat your gurus and your superiors with reverence? Prabhupada says you don't even offer, in the Bhagavad Gita says you don't even offer your superiors a verbal fight. So generally that's what pleases Krishna. But the, the person who by realization has seen that everything is, Krishna, is spiritual, 
then it's possible for them to do things which from a lower platform are, are material because their consciousness is different. Generally, though, they don't do such things because the whole reason we've demarcated those things as material is that 99% of the time Krishna is not pleased by them. But to think, even at the neophyte platform, even theoretically, that things are spiritual or material on some sort of a certain behavior is intrinsically spiritual or material, separate from the consciousness, your advancement will be very slow. And at a certain point, it will, it, it will actually become offensive. At a certain point of maturation, one is expected to do things with certain consciousness. It's like the childish behavior at a certain age is is cute and at a certain age is revolting. So at a certain point in our development of spiritual consciousness, we should learn that it's not just the activities, but it's also the motive and it's the consciousness and it's the mood so you know our fire sacrifices spiritual well that depends <laughs> that depends I mean even chanting the holy name of the Lord Bhakti Sinatra Saraswati says you know you, you can just be the alphabet it, the, the holy name hasn't actually manifested and then we have to make the other point we've made before that if you do the activities in the scripture even offensively, even as a hypocrite even as a demon, eventually because there is something intrinsically valuable in them eventually they will have some result but it may take a very long time and there may be some suffering first so those are, in one sense you could say they're contradictory there is some intrinsic spirituality in certain external behaviors but to access that you have to see them more as certain external behaviors you have to do those certain external behaviors in a particular consciousness to to access the full benefit of the of the intrinsic nature of those activities and conversely activities which 